There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Here's what you do. You buy a cheap pack of smokes with white filters, and you put your squid and your spearing on your hook, and then you break off a filter, and you stick it over the point. You couldn't get your sausage fingers in there to whip finish on a size 26 WD-40. I turn back to look at Bill to ask him if he's got the fish, and he is gone. So is the seat to my boat and the pedestal. Here's where we're going to go back to those, uh, the anal rays. Uh, please, for those- please take <laughs> us back to the anal rays. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that got its first fly tying kit in the sixth grade and 26 years later still can't figure out how to use a whip finish tool. I'm Joe Cermelli, and joining me to co-host today, my boy Tim Landwehr of Tightlines Fly Fishing Company in Wisconsin, who people say looks like Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Tim, <laughs> what's going on, brother? Not much, Joe. How are you today, bro? I'm great, man. It's good to see you. I'm so pumped to have you here. Um, oh, this is spectacular getting yeah. to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fitting that you're here because we're going to have some fun leaning toward the fly side of things today, particularly cool. the, the, the the tying side, which is a, a theme I've never really explored, but it's all going to make sense in just a little bit. Uh, but before we move on, um, can you use a whip finisher or do you do it with your fingers like me? So I can use a whip finish. Yeah. Well, whip finishing tool pretty well because we teach a lot of fly tying classes and stuff. But personally, I just use my fingers. See? Okay. And for anybody who doesn't tie it, has no idea what we're talking about. It's the tool that finishes the fly, like makes the little knot. And I've tried and tried. it's like a Rubik's cube. Whoever right. invented it, sadistic tool to try to teach it. And then you've got guys in your class who are left-handed and you're like, dude, I'm sorry. I can't help you. There are no rebates either, but I can't help you. Dude, and you watch it on video and it's just like, boop, boop, boop. And I'm like, I can do that. And I just, it, Rubik's cube is perfect. It just like falls apart. It just doesn't yeah. work. And it then it was, no it was like Lefty Cray or somebody years ago, like some old head was like, just use your fingers. And like, I got the fingers thing down. 
So right, I just right. go with that. Yeah, I use uh, my fingers too, but yeah, it's a terrible tool, Joe. I also tie large flies. I don't tie nymphs and shit, so it's pretty big thread. So I can get, I can get yeah, away. You with couldn't that. get your sausage fingers in there to whip finish on a size twenty six WD forty. I I couldn't. That's why I just buy those. But uh, anyway, so a little backstory. Um, so you and I met last summer while filming an episode of Das Boat Season 2 together. Yeah. Um, and you showed me your incredible smallmouth fishery on the uh, Menominee River. And that episode, along with uh, the spot burn video, which sort yeah. of spawned out of Das Boat and was, was running the fly fishing film tour, even helped you guys make some serious gains in stopping a big sulfide mine that was proposed in the area. It was a big win. It's a huge win. It's yeah. a huge win. I can't think. I mean, it was awesome getting to fish with you guys last season. Um, but just shedding light on that mine and that sulfide mine, it's been a big win. We've kind of got the mine company on the run a little bit. Right. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a very, very good place right now. And it's, it's thanks to, you know, efforts from you guys and the film tour and stuff, shedding light on that. Yeah. So it's crazy. Like so many people make content that sort of has a message or is like trying to push people somewhere, but then to have that firsthand experience where it was like, Oh damn, people actually watched that. And that made a difference. It got people to rally was very, very cool. It was super powerful because uh, our friends at the coalition to save the Menominee river, Dale Burry and his wife, they'd contacted me and they're like, I mean, there were donations that were sent in from other countries, you know what right, I mean? Like, right, like, like yeah. the, uh, the Meat Eater crew, you guys have some crazy reach and have helped out some pretty significant um, conservation efforts, yeah. ours in particular. I mean, it hits home to me. Yeah. So funny thing about that, right? So I, like the first day of our shoot within a <laughs> mile, I grabbed a spinning rod because we were trying to catch a pike for the table, right? And you put me in this little soft eddy and this monster smallie just hammered this yeah. jerk bait, right? It was not yeah. really supposed to be smallie water. And it was actually, it was the first fish you saw on camera in the Das Boat episode. But when the footage was recut for the film tour, we submitted the sequence of that fish and I made a joke in the narration. I was like, see, fly guys, I'll take a spinning rod out when I fly fish. And, you know, <laughs> nobody, it's okay. Nobody's going to die. And even though that video, that the, the one for the film tour was 999 percent fly they refuse to let that one conventional fish stay in the edit like come on no, man I, I didn't even notice that i, I gotta relook at the edit i was yeah. i have selective uh you know like vision on on that stuff i want to see it's all fishing man come on so what's the big f-ing deal what the f- are we doing out here i asked what the f- are we doing and we had such beautiful footage of me catching it on an Omen Black spinning rod from our sponsors, 13 Fishing. But Dude, it, it was oh, an incre- uh, that was an incredible situation <laughs> because if you recall, you threw it into that backwater, a fish ate, came unbuttoned, and, and then you stuck it. And a big follower. And it was a 20. It was a tape 20. Giant and I remember fish. some of the crew, uh, Gregson and some of those guys like, well... We're all set. Yeah. We got her. That's a wrap. <laughs> done. We're done here. <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway, so we'll, we'll we'll get back to the fly scene, though. So you run a, a very successful shop. You have for 20 years now. Um, so here's a question for you. What, in your opinion, is the most significant material that has changed the game in flies in, say, the last 10, Ooh. 15 years? Man, that's a, that's a big one. That's a, you've been in my shop. You know how much time stuff we you have. You have everything. Tiny. Yeah. Yeah. You know... I'd have to say, if we if we take a look at 15 years and like impact on my my tying, I'd have to say it's been some of the feathers, like like companies like Whiting Farms who have bred such good feathers, right? And offshoots of those feathers have come out from big schlopping for musky flies and stuff sure. like that. 
But man, you've been tying for a long time. I remember tying Adams and it took me like four feathers from a cheap Indian neck to, you know, like. Right, right, and, right. And, and now you can do it. So I'd have to say feathers or, or, or necks and synthetic game stuff because our synthetic walls have exploded too. So I, I can't just say one. Right. Well, it's funny you bring up feathers. It's an interesting answer uh, because I would say it's synthetic dubbing material. Now that's existed for a very long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it was sort of the simultaneous rise in the popularity of streamer fishing comboed with the advent of like laser dub that, yes. that made those materials explode. And I remember when I first got my hands on laser dub, I was like, OMG, like this changes right. everything. No spinning hair, no playing with wool. Like this yeah. was the shit. I that loved was a it. Thing. That was a thing that we could, you know, it, you would just dub that onto a hook and make a dry fly out of it. Where right. now we're like, we're taking giant clumps of it and, you know, folding it, it back. Exactly. And like, it's been completely repurposed in that regard. Yeah, this was like Kelly Gallup's modern uh, uh, trophy. That's that book was so impactful to me. Uh, modern streamers for trophy trout. Sure, sure. And even then, you look at what is modified from a lot of his patterns were wool heads, hair heads, and stuff. And now the advent of, like you said, laser dub. Yeah. Even in the musky world, it's a mind bender. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the funny thing is, all these years later, now I see people post these bait fish patterns, and they're just all synthetic dub, and they look cool, and I know they'll catch. But now I'm like. Yeah, it's just all synthetic dubbing, though. Like, can you even spin hair, bro? Like, I'm like, complete reverse. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, it made it too easy. <laughs> like the days of Dave Whitlock, Chris Helm spinning hair. Like, eh, we just back on some more laser dub. Right, right. But kidding aside, so listen up, because I'm about to drop a fresh bent contest on you guys that I'm really excited Ooh. about, okay? This is why I bring up these dubbings. One of my favorite dubbings is made by my bud Aaron Laterra of American Tide Flies out in Pennsylvania, and he makes this stuff called Magnum Dubbing. You familiar? familiar with that i'm not i've not seen magnum dubbing no. okay all right so the fibers are really long and he has all these great color blends and if you're into tying streamers this stuff is great better better than laser dub in my opinion but aaron did a thing for me um some of you have already seen this on my instagram account i teased it aaron has produced a one-off special set of six magnum dubbing colors all themed around bent Right. So you cannot buy these. These are not for sale. This is the it's only complete. <laughs> I know this is the only complete set I have. And I want to give it to one of you. So here are the colors. Right. So we've got a nice light olivey tan called nicotine anise. In, in, That's in, the best in, name. You can't top that. In, in, in honor of Bob the garbage man, even though <laughs> that dude would never tie on a fly. Um, we've got a we've got like a nice contrasting flashy light gray called mystery tuna. A nod to the Subway tuna debate, the fake tuna in the sandwiches. Um, a muted neon orange called Hefe in honor of Lance V. For all you Lance V fans out there, oh I don't know God. if you're a Lance V fan Oh, or not. just love the guy. I'm going to talk to him <laughs> about some tips of, for my Insta you're, account. You're one of very few. I knew uh, Miles was a big fan of his. <laughs> so we've got a flashed up chartreuse called Dill Pickle Pringles, and that's like for the serious Ben fans. That goes back to our uh, our Bass Tournament correspondent, Rance Stimkins. <laughs> we've got a killer dark brown with purple accents called Mandy's Livewell after the Mandy Yurick story of a dude oh, yeah. shitting in her livewell. And my personal favorite, which I will tell you right now, I did not get pre-authorized. I didn't care if he was mad. My favorite one is like this midnight black with iridescent accents called okay. Ross Robertson's soul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you topped the anus one. You topped yeah. <laughs> so these are all up for grabs. And here's what we're going to do. Between today, October 8th, and before the next show airs on Friday the 15th, I will be monitoring those Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags on Instagram, but 
I want to see something you made that helps you catch more fish, right? We yes. got to mix it up a little bit. I don't want to limit this to, to fly tires, though I'm sure we're going to see plenty of awesome flies, but this could be a jig you tied, a lure you repainted, whatever, but I'm looking for something you made. And remember, it's not a beauty contest. Tell me something about it. Like the why often wins these things over the what, and I will post a winner on my Instagram page the morning of Saturday, October 16th, Tim, would you like to help me be a judge for this? Oh my God, I'd like, I'd like nothing more. I want to see these concoctions <laughs> and these creations. And, 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 and the names have to be good too. I mean, it can't just be the fly. Like we, we yeah. got, we got some, some stellar names in here. We're going to consider all, all things. But remember, it's just like it doesn't have to be the prettiest. I want to know the why. It's got to be something you made. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Huge oh uh, shout out I to Aaron because these are these are awesome dubbings, um, collectors' items. Maybe if any, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you can't even tie with them. Aaron's anyway, got to get me some of these. I need some of these dubbings, John. I think I can hook you up. I can might you, be able to hook maybe, you up. All right, yeah. See what we can do. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll move on to smooth moves. We'll get away from tying the flies and uh, move along to people feeding them to fish poorly. And joining us today is actually one of your own, Guy Nate Sippel, who also hey. works for Tightlines. So don't spoil it, but do you think you know what story of client insanity Nate's going to tell? I'll tell you what, Joe. Nate is one of my closest friends, and he's guided for me for about 16 years. There is an absolute like train of craziness that I've heard <laughs> over the last 17 years. So I can honestly tell you, like I have no idea what the hell he would have said. But, I mean, there's literally hundreds of hilarious stories you could give us today for Smooth Moves. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. Joining me today on Smooth Moves, fly guide Nate Sippel, one of the guys with the uh, Tight Lines Fly Fishing Company crew out in Wisconsin, who I met when I was out there shooting Das Boat. How are you, man? Not bad. How are you doing, Joe? I'm I'm good. I'm uh, I'm very good. It's you know it's weird. We've hung out together because you were you were running one of the camera boats on that shoot, but we've never actually fished together. No, like you sort of watched me fish from a distance, which is impressive. I know, <laughs> and almost almost as good as being on the boat together. Uh, but we never actually got to fish together. I'm like due for another trip out there, man. Yeah, for matter sure. of fact, you were not really supposed to be in Das boat at all. But when it came to the part where we had to take the engine off that boat, I was like, somebody grab Nate. Yeah. Okay, just get Nate in there. So you actually <laughs> kind of worked harder on boat mods in season two than I did on that episode. But uh, anyway, man, so remind me, how many years guiding now? How many years you've been doing this? Oh, this is 15 or 16 for me now with tight okay. lines. Yeah. All right. There you go. And you've been with, with tight lines for that long. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes to show you, man, our friend Tim Lanware, who's been on the show many times, he must be a good dude to work for. Stick around oh, that long. Oh, man. He can you sell can the trash Kool-Aid. him, though. You can, <laughs> you can trash him, though, on this show. It's okay. It's uh, okay. Yeah. He won't, he won't listen anyways. Yeah, probably not. Probably no, not. he won't. <laughs> anyway, so you know what Smooth Moves is all about, man. The floor is yours. Uh, wow me. Make me laugh. What do you got? I know you've seen some shit. I have. I have. And when you uh, hit me up for this uh, a while ago, so many things were running through my head. I was like, oh, man, I've got so many stories. Um, and one <laughs> of them that came to mind that, that I still have, like, other clients have heard, um, you know, and it's kind of become a little infamous up at camp was – a guy who, um, in the interest of anonymity and this guy actually being a decent dude, and he is fishing with me again, like next month. So I'm going to use a, a pseudonym here and we'll call That's him. That's fine. We'll call him Bill for the time being. Bill is good. Bill is good. That's good. So anyways, uh, Bill and I are in the boat with one of his buddies and this is a, a preseason smallmouth float. 
Um, okay. So we're, we're on, a, on a small tributary to one of our bigger rivers, and it's May. Uh, and right. this river, river happens to drain a considerable percentage of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which in the wintertime is, it's cold, you know, they yeah, get a lot right. of snow. So right, this water right. that's coming down into the system, I mean, it's, it's like a little bit above freezing in the first part of May. So anyways, we get on the water, everything's going smooth. And I got to preface this by saying that I had just gotten a brand new boat from Adipose. Uh, wonderful boat. Yeah. So I, I, I've had like two days in this boat. It's still right. got that new boat smell. Everything's still, <laughs> you know, shiny and shit. <laughs> There's yeah, no yeah. cigarette stains and, and burn marks all over the place yet. Yep. Um, yep. So anyways, we're, we're going down the river and we're fishing smallmouth, uh, hoping to possibly get a shot at a muskie if one uh, sure. presents itself. Sure. And we're going down and because the water's high, because the water's cold, we're, we're looking for those those great little soft spots, those little eddies, those little slicks and stuff like that. We finally come up to one and Bill, as we'll call him, is, is sitting in the back of my boat and he's really enjoying the day. And, and by enjoying the day, I mean he's sitting in one of the wonderful pedestal seats that Adipose puts in their boats and he's got his feet up on the on the side of the boat and he's just chilling. And uh, he, okay. he, he pulls back and he throws a cast into this greasy little kind of eddy, you know, some nice foam on it and stuff. But he doesn't mend right away. It's just, it's kind of a little bit of a lazy cast. And as soon he's as the sitting fly, down and casting, he's sitting and casting. Yeah, See, I can't sit and cast a fly I can't rod. Either. I just doesn't feel right. Anyway, maybe maybe there's a reason why he does that. But if there's not, you can't do that. You can't. Well, do that. for me, it's it's that I'm greedy and and I want to be able to see what's going on. And I feel like sure. when I'm sitting, I can't see a damn exactly. thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, Bill throws this fly into this little eddy, and he doesn't bend or anything. And maybe it's because he's sitting down. Current catches his line, rips the line right out of there. And as that fly is vacating this eddy, I see this big, like, like huge, huge small mouth just kind of levitate up behind his fly, go right mm. after it, and then go, uh, you know what? This water's really cold. I don't feel like working that hard. Right. Screw right. this. So the small mouth <laughs> goes back into his, into his spot, and I immediately drop the anchor, and I stand up, and I say to Bill, I said, Bill, get that fly back in there. But work the fly this time. Throw a mend into it right away. Get that fly yeah. to slow down. So I drop the anchor. I'm now standing up, looking to my right, right at the right at the shore, right into this eddy. And Bill, still seated, throws a nice cast right into the eddy. Uh, fly hits the water. He mends. He mends. And right on cue, this the, the Murdoch minnow is just kind of hanging there in that in that grease, just yeah. suspended. Yeah. And this big smallmouth just comes up, and it just just disappears the whole thing. And I, in, in, in all my ex excitement, just hit him, hit him, hit him. And all of a sudden the boat rocks violently. I hear this, this ripping noise followed by a big splash. And there's this moment where I'm just frozen and I'm, I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I turn back to look at Bill to ask him if he's got the fish and he is gone. So is the seat to my boat and the pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm doing this moment where I'm like, oh, my God. And, and, and I look back at the water and, and the fish is still like I can see it on the line because the line is it's a floating line. It's a chartreuse yeah, line. Yeah, so I can yeah. see the line like bent into there. And I look back. I've got a bare boat floor, no seat, no pedestal, nothing in the back of my brand new boat. 
And my client is in the water. Bill is in the water behind me in 50 degree water on his back. And if you've ever flipped like a snapping turtle on its back in the water and you see him doing that thing where they're trying uh-huh. to like right uh-huh. themselves, that's uh-huh. the imitation that I'm getting out of Bill right now. And uh. thankfully for him, the, the, the water happened to be about three feet deep. So he stands up, lifts his rod tip up. He's still got the damn fish on. And he, he makes his way back to the boat. He gets a hand on the side of the boat. I don't know how he's not frantically gasping for air because this water is, like I said, it's yeah. just a little above freezing. Yeah, and yeah, just he, suck he, the life right out of you, yeah. He kind of hands me the rod to hold on to the fish while he, while he tries to, to get himself back into the boat. And he gets back in the boat. We land the fish. And, and, and I, I, I kind of turn around and I look at him and I'm like, what the hell did you do? You know, and and he, you know, had his feet up on the gunnel. And and what I know happened was in his excitement, that fish ate and he threw his entire weight and pushed with his feet back into that seat and Uh. basically, you know, did his impression of a guy at any time fitness on the leg sled machine into the back (laughs) of my damn thing and still had enough momentum to throw himself out the backside of the boat, you know. And oh, man. Yeah. So it was it was just I, I, I was shocked that A, he didn't freeze to death, that B, he got himself back in the boat and, and that I didn't kill him um, because he his first comment out of his mouth was not like, oh, shit, dude, I, I really messed that up. But it was like, you know, oh, this is clearly a manufacturer's flaw. And I was like, uh, no, dude, it wasn't. Like, <laughs> but on a serious note, right? So that's that's funny that he went right to manufacturer's defect because I know who that guy is. I've I've met that guy before. Yeah. Um, Did you have to bail? I mean, that had to be a potential hypothermic situation, right? No. So the the sun was actually out. It was, it was, the air temperature was like 70 degrees. So, Ah, yeah. So he got back in his big concern. The the main thing that he was concerned about was not anybody's comfort or well-being the rest of the trip. It was that the Copenhagen in his breast pocket was, was, was still dry. So, once we once we got that resolved and figured out that we were good there, um, you know, we we kind of went on on our way. So uh, I then had to do the, you know, the call of shame and and call the guys out at Adipose and and uh, you know they walked walked me through how to kind of resolve it and and it was it could have been worse. I mean, he could have ripped like the whole floor out and had water coming in the boat, but. You know, they right away. I was Justin told me that in their like 17 years, they had never ever seen that happen. Never seen one get ripped clean out of the Baltic birch and the bolts that hold this sucker in. Like, uh, you know, they were like the size of my pinky. <laughs> these giant coarse thread epoxied in and just boom, ripped them right out of there. So the thing you have to understand about Nate is <laughs> Nate is about the most. Uh, I know he's listening right now. He's like the most type A. You know, very particular guy. I mean, his truck, he, he's the guy that you want to buy his used truck from. Cause like, right. like it's, right. it's a 1989. That's like brands back in. Right. Um, so I remember he got his new boat is a brand new boat, you know, only a handful of weeks old. And, uh, a lot of our guys rotate boats every couple of years. They have, you know, things with some of the different companies. And I remember coming back to camp, like completely just, just a train wreck. And in one hand, he's got the seat with like four <laughs> bolts of these stainless steel bolts hanging out. Like, and, and like, this is, this is kind of the beginning of the guide season. I, I think it was in the beginning of the guide season, but like, it's pretty tough to guide without a boat, without a seat. So you were and, there at uh, the zero hour the day this happened. Oh, you saw the initial aftermath. I, I saw the aftermath. And in fact, 
we have seven or eight guys that work through our operation. We were all cleaning up our boats and having beers. And you could see them just kind of squeal into the parking lot, you know, <laughs> makes like a big U-turn and just drops a, what the, f-? you know, one of these. And it was, it was spectacular. So, and, and I think the worst part is, is nobody was hurt, but I think the guy like literally threw himself out of the boat. Like, like yeah. the hook yeah. shot was so well, powerful, like launched himself out. It's funny. Cause what Ejected. I, I actually identified with the guy freaking out over his can of dip getting wet. <laughs> Because as an ex-smoker of cigarettes, I feel that pain. Like, I, dude, I once dropped in on a 10-mile float years ago, and in the first quarter mile, my lighter fell in, and I did not have another. Oh, my and God. it was you a miserable day for me and my buddy. You can't steal that. No. You can't, you can't flint steal you a smoke. And, and looking back on it now, right, like, what a stupid thing to ruin a day. Like, that's terrible that you could ruin a beautiful day, but if you ever smoked or dipped, like you get that too. Absolutely. And and if memory serves me correct, like he's doggy paddling left-handed and holding his tin of <laughs> cope up in the other hand. I mean, he made it work. So I don't uh, I don't think that Copenhagen got a drop of water on it. There you go. True, <laughs> true, true nicotine addict right there. Anyway, guess what else I'm addicted to? That would be winning at fish news against my new opponent, Hayden Samick. Fish news. That escalated quickly. So I already gave him a shout out on Instagram last week, but I'm not sure that listener Dominic D. Flumeri is on Instagram. So <laughs> just in case, right, uh, this New Yorker hit me up and said, hey, man, I found something in an old tackle box I want to send you. And while he didn't say what it was, I, I just knew and, and I was right. Um, Dom sent me a well-used hippie spoon. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Right. And for those of you that don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I did an end-of-the-line segment on these spoons, which I grew up using for snapper bluefish. Um, And when I was a kid, there was a card of them on every counter at every Jersey Shore tackle shop. And then I go to research them, and it was like they never existed. There was like no – Yeah, like Mandela effect. Somebody brought that up. They actually said that I have outsmarted the Mandela effect because of Dom's generosity. Um, But it it was like they were just erased from time and history – uh, but Dom has proven I'm not crazy. And of course, my bud Dave Hosler over at Pilecast, he had to chime in and say, like, well, how do you know you're actually holding that lore in your hand? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like <laughs> like yeah. Bill Hicks said, this is all a dream, which uh, which could be true. I don't know, but I do appreciate it. Dude, I love the Bent listeners, man. See? They're helping us keep our sanity <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, what else do we need to talk about? I know. Uh, lots of people think you're high when you record Fish News, Aiden, and I've insisted no, that you're not. That's no. <laughs> just what you sound like. Would you like to speak to that at all, a little bit? I am most certainly not high. This is just my... <laughs> <laughs> this is just what I sound like. Uh, yeah, I, I will say I, I do have a little bit of a cold right now, and I, I was telling you about this this morning, Joe, about my uh, Dayquil, Nyquil sort of dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, you have one but not the other. So you well, yeah. you can't can, you can't cancel out the Nyquil with Dayquil. It's Dayquil uh, well, you don't have. Yeah, it's Dayquil I don't have. I only have Nyquil, and I've been trying to counteract <laughs> that with copious amounts of coffee. So you know, <laughs> if I sound particularly uh, out of it this episode of Fish News, rest assured I am not high. I am just ill. <laughs> <laughs> you said you're sipping on some kind of wacky wild game stock you've put together. I am. Uh, me and my buddies have been getting out after uh, after some upland birds. 
as of late, and I am drinking a master stock made of Hungarian partridge, sage grouse, some uh, some duck feet uh, left over from the duck opener this past Saturday in Montana, <laughs> and a smoked ham hock, and just, you know, various root vegetables as stock is inclined to be uh, made of. I almost bought a can of that at Whole Foods over the weekend, but it's really expensive, dude. I couldn't. Have- <laughs> I get high on wild game, kids. That a boy. Although I couldn't help but notice suddenly you've changed your Instagram profile picture back to fishing, which I appreciate. Yeah, you know, I I, I had this one of uh, of me when I had just gotten out here, and I was all you know, kind of puffy chested with like a big old thirty eight strapped to my hip and. <laughs> And, and and then I was just kind of like, you know what? I just don't feel like that right now. And in fact, I, you know, we got bears out here, Joe. And uh, I've heard, yeah, the grizzly kind, yeah. And so I, I've I've moved to carrying a uh, a Glock twenty. And man, I will tell you what I used to like think that was the coolest thing to like be out in the woods and carrying around like this like strap. And now, man, it's just it's gotten to the point where it's just heavy, and I try to carry that thing nowhere, including now my uh, my Instagram profile picture. So there you go. There you go. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we'll uh, we'll hurry up here. We'll move on. We'll try and get through this before your your coffee and stock wear off, and you just pass Ugh. out at the microphone. Uh, so remember, this is a competition. Hayden and I do not know which news stories the other dude is bringing to the table, and um, at the end, we shall be filled with judgment bullets, pardon the pun, which is actually a reminder to you to pardon your puns because clearly Phil didn't appreciate them last week. Um, And our sharp-dressed audio engineer, Phil Taylor, will declare a news winner. It is your lead-off this week, sir. What you got? All right, man. Well, last week you did a story on uh, on a potential state record being used for bait, yeah? Sure did. False Albie. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, this week... I have a story about a potential world record being eaten. Did you see this? I did, and I didn't grab it because it's your leadoff, and I was like, he's going to go <laughs> for it. So I was, I, I, my, my, my street smarts came oh, into yeah. play there. Well, I went for it, and uh, this story is kind of weird for a few reasons, and in the end, I don't actually like know how I feel about it. So yeah. I'm just going to kind of do my best to sum it up real quick, and then I want to break it down a little bit. Is that cool with you? That's cool with me, man. Break it down. All right. So a few weeks ago in Connecticut, this dude, Ben Tom Kunis, catches what was believed to be a 21.3 pound catfish. And a lot of people right now are thinking like, oh, like, you know, so what? Yeah. Uh, It's a small cat if you're talking blues or channels. Yeah. Well, maybe not channels, but certainly Not channels, blues and flatheads, I meant. Yeah. Yeah. But but this was no ordinary catfish. Uh, it, It was a white catfish. And anyone who knows anything about white cats knows that they pretty much never, ever, ever, ever grow that big. Yep. yep. Uh, so anyway, the dude takes a bunch of photos. He gives the fish to his grandfather who eats it. Mm-hmm. And he later sends all these photos to Connecticut's Fish and Wildlife Division, who confirm it as a state record. Even going so far to announce it on their Facebook page. Yep. Yep, they yep. went for it. Oh, full send. <laughs> so <laughs> a couple of weeks pass, and now they're saying that without examining the fish itself, because Grandpa ate it, right? Yeah. They cannot say that Tom Kunis's catch was definitely a white catfish. So now, Joe, 
they're rescinding the record, citing that the image, citing the images as uh, ambiguous and inconclusive. Yep. Yep. So to that end, Deep, uh, that's Connecticut's Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, which kind of seems like it might be at odds with itself. <laughs> a little bit, uh, yeah. Put out a statement on Facebook saying, due to questions raised both internally and by outside sources, Deep is recalling its initial declaration of a new state record white catfish caught in Coventry Lake. And that's the one obviously caught by Tom Kunis. Yep. Anyhow, Tom Kunis, for his part, is really upset about this. Like, maybe not quite like otter people <laughs> obsessed about this. <laughs> or upset about it, rather. But frankly, he feels like the whole thing is total bullshit. And is reportedly so angry, he's quoted as saying his teeth hurt from grinding. <laughs> what, do, what, do you, what do you think about that, Joe? <laughs> Uh, well, knowing a little bit about this story, I, um, I think it's a bit much because I know you're going to get into sort of both sides of the story yeah. here. So I will let you go on and, and pass judgment later. Um, but I'll just pray like there's, there's things he could have done better to stop, to stop his teeth. Yeah. From yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, but like I can see both sides of this and we'll start from Tom Kunis's kind of follies on one hand. All the pictures of this dude's catch that I've seen have been, like, shitty. <laughs> you know. And granted, they are night fishing pictures, Joe. Right, which, which is tough. We know. It's, it's always tough, yeah. Yeah, those things tend to be shitty. But, I mean, not a single one is in, like, sharp focus. Right, yep. They're all kind of, like, strange, weird sort of angles. And there aren't any pictures, and this is like kind of like the one that speaks to you know Deep's point. There aren't any pictures that show really definitive features, uh, particularly the rays of the anal fin in great detail. Yeah, and, because and it's, Joe, it's, you know to the untrained important. eye, it's very hard to tell channel from white. Like you really got to know what you're looking for, right? Yeah, and we're, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit too. But let me bring up the second point right quick, and it's that uh, this dude obviously knew that he had a very likely record. You know, he had a scale with him. He you took think so? a bunch. Of, uh yeah. I mean, it kind of seemed to me. He knew there was some big-ass white catfish where he was fishing. Exactly, yeah. A, gotcha. a white catfish is an obscure, is, is a relatively obscure fish. Right, yeah. And he clearly knew that there were some big ones in here. He had a, a, a scale with him. I don't know about you, man, but it, when I'm just like going and catfishing off the dock, and, and I do a lot of that, very rarely do I bring like a scale with me. And, and if I do catch one, very rarely do I make like such extensive effort to like document like the fish. If I catch like a big, big old no, catfish. You, you, you have a point. Like the only thing I carry a scale for is snakeheads because like if it's a 10 pounder, I want to I don't want to guess and be like, yeah. I think that one was 10. Like that's a big deal. So I want to know. Otherwise, I don't ever have a scale with me. I don't care. Right. So like I said, you know, I, I think that he knew that he had like record potential here. Mm -hmm. And he, but here's the weird thing. He took all these pictures, but then he like didn't release it. Right. Right. So, I mean, at that point, why not just bring the fish in? Right. Well, but, but to give it to his grandfather so to, to like eat it. You're killing the fish anyhow, and if you think you have a state record, you might as well bring the thing in. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's so he's so upset about this that his teeth are grinding. But like, if you cared that much about nailing 
a state record, then do it the right way and yeah. document it properly. Take the fish in somewhere official to be weighed and looked at. So that's what I mean. I don't understand how mad he can be because he didn't do a particularly good job of proving it. Bro, just like look at the pictures that you took. Yeah. And be like, no, that one's like blurry. That's not going to fly. You're like, for an, if you're dealing with potentially a world record. Yeah. You got and time that's to the take thing. a couple it could go pictures. Beyond, it could go beyond state, right? It was big enough yeah. that it could have been world. Yeah. 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 You know, you know that you have this potential record. Like, take the time to document it appropriately, particularly if you're not concerned about getting it back into the water alive and well. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so th- those are the strikes that I have against Tonkunis in all of this. Basically, it comes down to his inability to take a grip and grin and maybe like a slip in decision making. It does seem a little weird, but looking at all this, I don't think it was because he was like trying to get one over on somebody to like claim a false record. Well, probably not. But, you know, it's also easy to be swayed. Like you've seen this with records before where somebody catches something and some other guy on the pier is like, hey. You know what that is, don't you? And you just like kind of take their word for it. So I don't know. Maybe he yeah. took the pictures and later on somebody was like, ah, that's what. Who knows? We'll never know. That's all speculation. It doesn't really matter. Could be. Could be. Right. I mean, the, well, that, that's kind of the problem with this whole story is like right. the entirety of it is speculation on multiple levels. Yep. So anyway, let's move on to deep here. They should never, nope. never have announced this publicly. Nope. Big mistake. Yeah. I, I don't understand how it got through it all particularly something as potentially controversial as this. And here's where we're going to go back to those, uh, the anal rays. Uh, please, for those, please take <laughs> us back to the anal rays. Anytime going you're Going back ready. to the anal rays. Why do I feel like that's <laughs> going to be in the podcast description? It might be. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, species of catfish, particularly those under 20-ish pounds, can be really hard to tell apart. You know, you look for things like head shape, the color of like chin barbels. But one of the most telling features and one that most biologists look to in a positive identification are the numbers of rays on the anal fin of a catfish. Now, like the ray is that line that comes down that kind of supports like that fin membrane, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyhow, blue cats typically have 30 to 35. Channel cats typically have 24 to 29. Whites have 22 to 25, and flatheads have 14 to 17. Now, you can already see, right? Like, whites and channels have a, in fact, they have a little bit of overlap. Yeah, they overlap. Exactly. So, I mean, so that should speak to, you know, how kind of closely these catfish tend to be in appearance um, with the number one distinguishing feature being size, right? But you have a 20-pound white catfish now you're really in some like gray area. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. All that's to say without being able to count those anal rays, it can be really hard to tell the difference between a channel cat and a white cat. And without being able to do that, they should have never announced this record. Ever. 100%. 100%. However, I will say to Tom Kunis's credit, as a dude who has a reputation among his pals as a bait chucking catfish enthusiast and someone who has seen a ton of 20 pound channel cats, I think based on Tom Kunis's pictures, shitty as they are, I have to agree with him. And I genuinely think that he caught a world record white cat. And uh, I think that thusly deep's decision to rescind that record is in fact bullshit. 
it looks like a white catfish to me, you know, particularly like with the shape of that head. I mean, yeah. there's one picture that you see where like the, it's kind of like a profile view of the catfish on some yep. grass. Yep. And man, that does not look like a channel catfish to me. Well, you know what? I, I, I'll tell you what, man. I, I, I'm not so sure I agree that it's bullshit because it just seemed like a rushed decision to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, sure. Again, without knowing the backstory, like who knows who made that call and who knows who right. – thinking like what's the does anybody care about this what's the difference yeah. throw it up there like but then you know it, it takes somebody later well, to go smash uh, the record yeah you know what i mean it's so, ma- so it's it's almost double the previous white catfish record yeah and i'm pretty sure that record stood for like what like 50 years or something like that yeah it's it's an it's an old record um but it's also just funny how these things always play out because it's not like um it's not, it's not like Ben's going to be rolling in in catfish tackle endorsements over this. You know what I mean, like, there's some big money records out there. Like, you catch the world record striper, yeah. you're famous. You catch the world yeah. record yellowfin, whatever, you're famous. Yeah. You know, but and it all just comes back to if it mattered that much to you, if it would have meant that much for you to hold that record, you could have done things you differently. You yeah. should have. You should have. Yeah. You know, then you wouldn't be on Ben having you talk about him. So, you know, <laughs> lucky for yeah, us. Yeah. Well, any anyhow, you know, it's a messy story and i think both tom kunis and deep could have done well they could have both been smarter in dealing with this potential record no matter how you look at it yes one thing's for sure i bet tom kunis is pretty annoyed with his buddy for taking such a shitty grip and grin beyond (laughs) the lack of a sweet instagram post O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination 
on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You set me up beautifully because your story ties to shitty photos. Uh, mine ties to uh, kind of an amazing photo, crystal clear, like just clear as an unmudded lake, to quote uh, Clockwork Orange. Um, and and I, So I was torn this week, right? I was going to go with the headline, disgraced ex-governor Andrew Cuomo seen fishing with dog. But then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that, right? Uh, so this is, this is sort of a goofy little story. Uh, I came across in the Daily Star, and I, I couldn't leave it alone, right? The headline of this one, fish captured smoking cigarette on camera, saved before gobbling the entire thing. And what this nice. is, yeah, right? This is one of those classic JC news pieces that really, it's not the story so much as the dumb commentary it will lead to. Uh, still a little <laughs> interesting, though, right? So the fish in question is a blunt-nosed lizard fish, and the photo was taken off the coast of Palm Beach, Florida by underwater photographer Steve Kovacs earlier this year. Um, it's very clear, very vivid, and the little fish even has the correct end, the filtered end of the heater in its tiny little mouth. Nice. Um, now, even Kovacs admits he took the shot because it was funny, right? But he also felt bad because he figured that the little fellow was just seconds away from engulfing the entire cancer stick, assuming it was some kind of prey. So as soon as he, he got the shot, he immediately grabbed the butt um, to save the fish. So just in case you've never heard of a lizard fish, there's actually a whole bunch of different species throughout the Atlantic. And they're these skinny little suckers that lie half buried in the sand with their eyes, you know, just sticking out. And they, they wait for small crustaceans to drift overhead and stuff like that. So clearly this lizard fish um, thought that camel was a shrimp. So what's crazy, though, is that the photo was so good. It got entered into the 2021 Ocean Photography Awards. Oh, yeah? Which curates, yeah, they curate and judge the most stunning oceanic photographs from all over the world on a yearly basis, right? Uh -huh. And while Kovacs didn't win anything, he got a um, highly commended, quote, highly commended, I guess that's like an honorable mention nod, for his smoking lizard fish. Uh, and of course, they didn't they didn't recognize Kovacs for the beauty in the shot, but rather as part of a conservation category that highlights ah. how human waste affects marine environments. Right, making those fish start smoking. See, exactly. Yeah, I know. So, and and I got to say, I'm surprised he didn't win because if you're trying to paint a picture of what dirt bags humans can be, like to me, like this is it because it's very easy to show big things, right? Like discarded commercial fishing nets or giant balls of mono or oil spills like these huge impactful things like the but one like, in california this weekend exactly uh, yeah there was one in california uh that was newsworthy too um but people flick a button in the water so nonchalantly and bam like there it is like oh. there's the photo you know what i mean that has to be like the single most frustrating thing that i see people do like regularly do you do people smoke in Montana anymore? I feel like people don't well, smoke anymore. Well, you know, number one, <laughs> there is like one dude in my apartment building that uh, smokes, and <laughs> I always see him. And it, it just like coming from like you know the East Coast, 
that would be something that I would have never thought about. But now I like identify that dude as like the guy who smokes cigs in the apartment. You know well, what I mean? And see, that's I'm not coming down on smokers at all, but I firmly believe that people are more sympathetic to heroin addicts in the year 2021 than people who smoke. Like smokers oh. are like hardcore outcasts, but we're getting off topic. That's not the point. Yeah, the yeah, point yeah. is like the impacts of a single cast off smoke butt are right there in front of you, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but yep. the category was actually one. By a shot I didn't think was nearly as good, um, and it, it was it was a, a moray eel wrapped in old heavy gauge mono dead on the bottom, which, like, that's impactful, but I actually thought the cigarette butt in the lizardfish mouth, like, drove the point home further. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to what we were talking about earlier, man, like, in Montana, I don't really see, like, people, like, flicking cigs into, like, beautiful trout streams. Right. But... When I was back on the East Coast, I almost got in a fight with somebody on the Salmon River one time. Which is easy to do. Oh, man. (laughs) I'll tell you what. If you're looking to fish and fight, you go up to the Salmon River, man. (laughs) The, uh, yeah, this dude was on the other end of the, or the other side of the bank. And I saw him smoking a cig. Okay, man, smoke your cig. And he flicks it into the water. I go, hey, man. You know, and this is probably because I was on the other side of the bank, but I go, hey, man, you know, you, you drop something. And the dude, like, kind of looks over at me and then looks down, pretends not to hear me. I go, hey, man, you dropped something. And he goes, what? I go, you dropped your cigarette. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know. I go, well, don't you think you ought to pick it up? Uh. And yeah, so that kind of man, that's, that, that's, that, that, that could be a scene it. straight out of Roadhouse, right there, Hayden. Good for you. Uh, well, no, no, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that cool. Honestly, I was kind of emboldened by the fact that I knew that there was really no place to cross from about a quarter mile up and a quarter mile <laughs> downstream. <laughs> at a point. Well, so okay. Well, so and I'm I, now see now I'm going to get off on that tangent, right? Because the the front half of this story, the actual facts, that's like the angel on Joe's shoulder telling that part. Yeah. But then here comes the demon. Um, because there is a part of me that has to laugh at this slightly because on numerous occasions I've seen trout rise to a flicked cigarette butt. And one time, and I will never forget this, I was probably 18 and 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 fishing with a buddy in northeast Pennsylvania, matter of fact, and we had a decent hatch going, but I was like a neophyte on fly at the time, and I was trying like hell to feed these fish, and they wouldn't rise to my shit, like let alone rise and snub it. There was just no response. And my buddy flicked a smoke, which for the record, I do not now, nor have I ever condoned that. Like, I didn't like it at the time. But damn if one of those fish didn't come up and take a shot. And these were holdovers, (laughs) not fresh stockies, like not like truck dummies, okay? Um, So I tried to float them like a white woolly bugger. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, all right, you want cigarette butts? Let me see what I can do here. But it didn't work, though, right? And then furthermore, and this is even worse, but it's funny, when I was a teenager, I worked in the detail bay of a car dealership, and there was this old dude, and all he did was party boat fish for fluke. And oh, he yeah. was a ringer, too, man. Like, he caught the shit out of big fluke. And I, I asked him one time, I was like, Don, what's like, what's the secret, man? Like, how are you catching all these doormats? And he says, here's what you do. You buy a cheap pack of smokes with white filters, and you put your squid and your spearing on your hook, and then you break off a filter, and you stick it over the point. And now you shoot a little shed of crab oil onto that filter, and the filter keeps you bait on the hook. But as it gets wet, it gets all soft and wavy, and the whole time it's releasing that crab oil. And I was like, damn. Now, I definitely, I don't condone that 
either at all. But I also oddly appreciate the old timey ingenuity. Like that would have been like a legit taps tip in Field and Stream, like circa 1957. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know what, man? I actually don't really see the problem with that. In fact, <laughs> I would posit that that is better than a lot of the soft plastics that we lose in the water all the damn time. Well, I, I mean, heads. you know what? If there was a study done, like now, again, these are unsmoked. These are yeah, what? These are unsmoked cigarette filters. He wasn't smoking them and doing this. He would buy a pack of clean smokes. I don't even think he smoked and would just break off the unsmoked filters. That dude definitely smoked. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I don't remember. But you know what? I bet you if you did a study, like a bunch of soft plastics on the bottom or some unsmoked plain cigarette filters, you're right. I mean, I think it was mostly cotton. Maybe yeah, maybe maybe we do condone it. Maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, but it, <laughs> I I thought it, I thought it was great. So those are my cigarette butt stories. Uh, Phil could could grab a smoke this week, filtered or unfiltered. Um, you know, he could he could, check, he could check out the anal rays of your story. Whatever he wants to do, we're gonna kick it over to Phil and see who won this week. And then after that, me and our guest co-host Tim Landler, we're going to get a drink. Do a little. Of That's my bar. Hayden, it's a shame you couldn't stop that guy from throwing his cigarette into the river, because I can only assume that that same cigarette floated downstream, right into the mouth of a lizardfish, and was eventually photographed by Steve Kovacs, leading to Joe's victory this week in Fish News. <coughs> Hayden, I hope you feel better, but to be honest, I'm kind of worried about you. And so is a friend of mine. Hayden, it's me, McGruff the Crime Dog. McGruff, what are you doing here? I'm just worried about my good friend, Hayden Samick, who between his nicotine, his NyQuil, his coffee, and the fact that he's stoned out of his gourd every week on Fish News, clearly has a problem. Allegedly, McGruff, allegedly, 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 you're right, you're right. But even so, I've written a song just for the occasion. Hayden, listen closely. Never cry, marijuana, don't try it at all. Like beating your head on a wall And you know If you gamble with life You can lose it Gotta grow Cause your life is a gift Don't abuse it And you know If you gamble Best goddamn bartender From Timbuktu to Portland, Maine So when I set this up with Tim, he said, hey, man, you know, I've got a bar for you. And it's been a minute since we've had a quality that's my bar here on Ben. I'm always interested in new places to drink. So uh, where are you taking us? Oh, man, this was this is a tough one. But I'm going to take you to Nelson's Hall in Bitters Club on Washington Island, Wisconsin. OK, there's a well, lot of right. great fish bars in Wisconsin, man. Like, I think that we've had more Wisconsin bars in this segment than anything else. Well, it should be. I mean, I think you could just do a Wisconsin, that's my bar bar episode here. <laughs> right. But so, so uh, this is an interesting place because there's some history to it. So I'll lead up to that. But if you're heading north up the thumb of Wisconsin and you travel through what's nor known as the Door County Peninsula. Right, right. Um, the Bay of Green Bay is, on your e is, is to your east and Lake Michigan's to your west. It's just basically a long country road. 
mm-hmm. that runs to the, the absolute tip of the thumb um, of the, the Door County Peninsula. Now, the Door County Peninsula is super popular, and it's it's been known as the Cape Cod of the Midwest. Okay. I, mean, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a really cool area. Yep. You know, both sides of the roads are lined with people, little shops, ice cream places, and they're mostly Illinois plates. I would say about 98% <laughs> Illinois plates. Fibs, I believe they're called, right? I would, no, I would never call them that. That would be wrong. <laughs> um, but as you travel to the tip, you get to the very tip, and there's a ferry line there. Mm-hmm. That's a car ferry. And it's a 20-minute ride, and it takes you to Washington Island. Huh. Now, see, I've never heard of Washington Island. I, I just learned something. I've, Joe, I've as a been bass up that fisherman, way. Yeah. As a bass fisherman, you need to know, because, like, I, I hate to do a whole lot of spoiling of some of this stuff, but, like, Washington Island's bass season doesn't open up until the first part of July, because the spawn lasts a lot longer. Right. You know, right. Like into that. So they have kind of some of their own special regulations. But between the Bay of Green Bay, Lake Michigan, and Washington Island during tournament season, a couple of years ago, they caught smallmouth bass that were eight pounds, two ounces. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Dude, I broke seven once in my life. That's impressive. And but seven and, is an impossible number, you know, for the, for the Right. And actually, funny thing is that one of the places I've done it was in Sturgeon Bay. That's yeah. as far out on the peninsula as I've been. So I've only yep. ever been to the middle. I haven't gone any further well, north. Well, you're close. You just keep heading north and you take that ferry line across. Yeah. But so that gets me to the bar. You take this ferry boat all the way across to the bar and you run into a small town. Washington Island is not like the Door County Peninsula. It has a hundred and some miles of paved road on it. But there's like downtown is seven buildings and three of them are bars because that's what it should be. (laughs) Um, But what's cool about uh, Nelson's Pub, uh, we'll get into the fishy part of this pub, but the interesting couple of facts is number one, it's the oldest bar serving alcohol continually in Wisconsin. No kidding. It's an interesting statistic because if you take a look at it, after the 18th Amendment kicked off in 1920, effectively prohibiting the uh, the production and sale of alcohol, they were still operating. Huh. Now I'll tell you how this all went down. So oh, this, this is, is why his, this, this is, is a history lesson. I That's my bar. I, I, like I like to bring, I like to bring something. People are like, I go in there and order the wings and I pass <laughs> out and leave. It's great. Cheese this curds. Is, this, come this is on. good, dude. Come on, man. So, bring it on. So, um, they have been the largest server of, I, I don't know if I'm botching this up here, but Angostura bitters. All of us have seen bitters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it was actually more made of cloves and some other stuff, but it's 90 proof. Well, the gentleman that opened in Nelson's Hall was Tom Nelson. And Tom Nelson had opened that place in like 1899. <sighs> and once Prohibition hit, he was out of luck. You know, what, right. what are you going to do on this island? So he started serving bitters. Just the bitters. Just the bitters through prohibition. Now, that was still illegal because bitters are 90 proof. Well, here's the fun part that brings it to my family scheme. My grandfather was an attorney in Sturgeon Bay, and my grandmother was born on Washington Island. And through loopholes as a stomach tonic, they had written, uh, it's not really legislation, I go, but they they basically right. worked through a loophole right. where they were still allowed to serve stomach tonic all through prohibition. Oh, slick. So, slick. Still today, the Bitters Club is the largest consumer of Angostura bitters in the entire world. 
Huh. So now, see, I did not know much about bitters before this, right? In okay. fact, the last time I had bitters was with you. You yeah. made me an old-fashioned and garnished it with, with pickled ramps your child foraged. Well, dude, they you were, were trying <laughs> to give me the full Wisconsin thing. You have to have a brand no, new old-fashioned. They, they were delicious, but shame on you for making your kids supply your booze garnishes. But this is what beyond they do. that, <laughs> it's good parenting. It's, it's, it's a good racket we got going. <laughs> beyond that, though, my grandmother, see, she was a Manhattan drinker, which is like oh, another sure. old-school drink, like yep. an old-fashioned. Absolutely. And I remember every time she ordered one at a restaurant, she ordered extra bitters so i always yeah. associated bitters with like old people drinks so right. anyway now i assume obviously you took the shot you're part of the yes. bitters club yeah you're part of yeah. the bitters club you do the shot you're part of the club and it's still it's still history but the fishy part of the bar is like the island itself still is like buried in you know fishing history you know there's still families that commercial fish for white fish sure. and stuff like that but i yeah. mean there are so many people that come up there it's kind of still one of those hidden secrets where yeah. these bass guys are up there and it's like they're catching six pounders, you know, right. I mean, right. There's, there's giant northerns in all the harbors. All my Islander friends are going to be furious with me talking about this shit right now. But, but, you know, I mean, so, so th that's my bar, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of it. Dude, like, and I, yeah, man. And I really appreciate all the history and tradition there. Uh, we had another bar might've also been in Wisconsin where you had to shoot Jaeger and sauerkraut juice when you caught your first muskie. <laughs> so I liked, I liked I the bitters better. The side note here, though, also is it is also known as the second most haunted establishment in the state of Wisconsin. Ah, even better. So even better. One of these days, maybe you can take me there. I will join it. the Bitters Club. We'll see a ghost uh, and it'll be great. Uh, if you have a bar, you listening that you want shouted out, tell us about it in an email to bent at the so we are almost out of time, but to the bitter end, see what I did there. Uh, we aim to pump you full of useful information between all the fart jokes and off-color humor. So I'm going to close it out with an end-of-the-line segment that ties, did it again, back to our very loose theme of fly tying. Uh, Tim, I'll ask you, what just what comes to mind when I say sparkle minnow? Oh, my God. Well, sparkle minnow, great trout streamer on our spring creeks. And also, if I'm in real big trouble on a smallmouth guide trip, I can wiggle a sparkle minnow around in a rapids and catch eight inches like crazy. There it saved me. you go. There you go. Hell, you might even be able to incorporate a little bit of that nicotine anise or mystery tuna dubbing <laughs> oh my God. into your sparkle minnows. Here's the full backstory on them. Fishy, 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 fishy. Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Here's the description of Coffee Sparkle Minnow on the Durangler's website. Coffee Sparkle Minnow might be the sleeper streamer. Often passed up in the fly bin, this fly absolutely destroys trout on almost any body of water in the West. I would agree with that statement, though it messes fish up well beyond the West. But listen, before I get into this fly, I have to ask, who the hell is Coffee? Like, I like to provide background on my end-of-the-line choices, though despite four billion and one references to Coffee's Sparkle Minnow on the interwebs, my search for Coffee's first name, or his story, failed. And maybe I didn't try hard enough, but then again, like, I'm not spending an entire day looking for that. Like, that should be easy. I even suffered through many awkward and scripted tying tutorials on YouTube that sounded like this. Today we're going to be tying the Sparkle Minnow. One of the most versatile streamer patterns and beloved by many, just how do they get it so sparkly? I'm going to show you how today. But not one tire that I watched provided the first name or backstory of the elusive coffee. I'm sure someone listening knows and will educate me, so let's just move on to the fly. 
The sparkle minnow is what I'd categorize as a guide fly. Now, guide flies are relatively easy and fast to tie, so a guide can knock out a fresh dozen the night before a trip. But guide flies also tend to appeal to the fish first and the angler second. As Duranglers pointed out, in a bin next to drunken disorderlies, circus peanuts, and flugen zombies, the sparkle minnow is unlikely to grab the attention of the tourist bro, full of piss and vinegar, in the shop on the Madison that has been dreaming about a brown trout with a hook jaw that makes up three quarters of its body since he booked this trip a year ago. Joke's on him, though, because the sparkle minnow is both a numbers fly and a size fly. The sparkle minnow isn't some giant jointed behemoth. It's essentially a modern woolly bugger. It's tied on a standard size streamer hook. It has a cone head and a two-tone marabou tail with a bit of flash. The body, on the other hand, is pure flash. In most cases, tires lean on a brush of angel hair or ice dubbing, but you can also create the pattern with a dubbing loop. The end result is a minnow pattern with a flared, kind of fat, chubby middle. It's a great sculpin imitator in darker colors and a general bait pattern in lighter colors. But the way I describe the action, it's, it, it, it kind of like waddles and wobbles on the strip. Lots of guys also dead drift them, simply letting all that soft flesh and marabou pulse and breathe. Bottom line, it's a really, really versatile fly. In truth, I lean on the sparkle minnow more for smallmouths than trout, because they just seem to love killing that thing all season long, regardless of water conditions. For trout fishing, at least out east where I am, it's more of an ace in the hole. And when the sparkle minnow bite is good, it's, it's often really, really good. Sometimes, in trout fishing, you feel the need to reduce your flash, be more subtle, especially in cleaner water. But there have been many tough days, and you know those days where you're getting flashed and swiped but not pinned, where a drop in fly size and a ramping up of the Metallica, we could say, makes the play. Often, though not always, I find that a sparkle minnow either catches, like, all the fish or none at all. Now, in the spring, if there's alewife herrings spilling over the dam on the west branch of the Delaware, you can damn well rest assured I'm chucking a sparkle minnow. It's become one of my staples, and I suggest you don't overlook them in the fly bin, because it's one of those flies that you don't really need until you do. And that's vague and weird. But I also know most of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So thanks for this one, coffee, whoever you are. So that's it for this week. If you'd like a materials list, uh, recreating the magic of this episode will require four extremely strong bolts and a fresh can of skull, a few shots of bitters from the land of Illinois license plates, an APB for a guy named Coffee, and an eyebrow piercing just like Joe Exotics. Tim, cannot thank you enough for hanging out with me today, man. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah, man. Super good times. Tim not only provided a great bar for us today, but also a great employee with plenty of client buffoonery to share. So thanks again to Nate Sipple. And if you guys have anything to share, like bars, salesman items, awkward photos, uh, nibble and sip voice memos, and so on, send them to bent at the com. Joe, I'm pumped up to see uh, what these guys come up with that dubbing on homemade lures and flies, yes, man. Yes. Uh, just make sure, you know, post uh, it, hashtag Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast. And I'm jealous. I kind of want some of that dubbing, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull some strings. You might be able to do, do another another run uh, just for you. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I make no guarantees. You may have won our hearts today, Tim, but you may not be eligible to win the dubbing. 
Uh, but for those of you that are eligible to win, remember to let the super glue on your fingers dry before grabbing another pinch of chew. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.